We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Mike Tolbert onto the field to give McCoy a breather. Play fake to him, Taylor. On the move, throwing deep, has a man downfield. It is caught by Charles Clay. Ryan got hit as he released the football. It's incomplete. Bills are running it back to Jerry Hughes. And a touchdown. Fourth and one. Here we go. Tevin Coleman and Derek Coleman in the backfield behind Ryan. Play fake. Look left. Throws right. Incomplete. Incomplete, and the ball goes over on downs. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder Drew Gear. To my right is my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Greg Gumble from CBS Sports. Oh, how sweet it is, folks! What say you now? Oh, oh I called th- it. I'm sorry, but I, I called it. I said you when. did call the game, and I had to drink a Seagram's because I did not believe. I did not believe that the Bills could go into Atlanta and come away with a victory. And I'll tell you, after the game, when all was said and done, I swear to God, I, I felt like Russell Crowe in Gladiator. Just walking circles in my basement with a beer in each hand going, Are you not entertained? Oh, man. Just what a massive win for the Buffalo Bills. I, I mean... <laughs> I can't even do it justice. Listen to LaShawn McCoy address the media post game. Y'all picked us to lose, so y'all don't talk to the winners. Come on, come talk to us. We want to talk. Y'all picked us to lose, but we want to talk to the winners, right? Y'all want to talk to the winners, right? All right, come on, come on. We all around. We supposed to lose tonight, today, but we want to come talk to the winners. Huh? Yeah, in Atlanta. <laughs> Woo! Someone was fired up. Chris, how good did you feel? I felt great. (laughs) I mean, granted, I've I've talked about it before on the podcast. The last time that they were in Atlanta for a game, I was there. Our starting quarterback was Brian (laughs) Brom. It was on December 27th. 
So it's between Christmas and New Year's. Our season was already lost. So this was the first meaningful game in Atlanta you've witnessed. And, well, we should have been there. Well, hey, the fact That's is. That's your fault and Larissa's. The fact is, we went into that, we went into that environment and came out with a win. Guys, we've got a, I, I mean, we've just got a huge show for you tonight. So why don't you all buckle up, get comfortable, pop a, just pop a beer, pop a tap with us as we get into this week's Buffalo Bills news update. Breaking Jack Eichel, eight years, $82 million. All right. Usually, okay, we usually don't bring other sports into the podcast, but it's been announced, folks. Breaking news tonight, Jack Eichel signing a contract. Knew they'd get it done. I knew they would find a way to get it done before the beginning of the season. Chris, it's a good day to be a Buffalo sports fan. Cheers. Woo! And now, our first order of business here. The people who make the power rankings in this country for the NFL – the media pundits and everybody else have lost their fucking minds. Okay? For the last three weeks, this is part three in an installment called None of You Know What You're Talking About. And get fucked. <laughs> For the last two weeks, I've kind of wandered over with you guys the NFL power rankings. We won week one and somehow fell backwards in the ESPN power rankings. Okay? We, you know, then we won a game against the Broncos. And we got all of this, all of these accolades coming out of the woodwork. Oh, yeah, the Bills are a good team and they're tough. But that's not what you were saying about us two weeks ago. Now they have officially hit the level, level of lunacy. I mean, look at this. Pro Football Talk has the Buffalo Bills ranked as the number two team in the entire NFL. Uh, no. Are you no. high? <laughs> no. CBS has us as number eight. Sports Illustrated has us at number 14, which I think is actually probably out of all of the power rankings out there. The closest to being accurate. Probably because they didn't account. They accounted for other things other than a record. Because that's not how you do power rankings. <laughs> you don't just go, oh, Chiefs are 4-0, so they're the best team ever. Well, some people do put more thought into it than just the record. I mean, today, Colin Cowherd had this to say about it. Number nine. First time ever. I've been doing this five years. The Buffalo Bills made the list. Don't kid yourself. They run the ball 55% of the time. This is a blue-collar, punch-you-in-the-face football team that's not going away. They lead the NFL in quarterback pressures, 15 a game. Did you see Matt Ryan running for his life all Sunday? They run the football. They've allowed just four offensive touchdowns. They've cleaned house with all their coaches. They've come in. They play to their strengths. They're a running football team with a tremendous defense and a remarkable pass rush. This is a team that's not going away. Bills at nine. Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio. I mean, nine's not too bad. I mean, but he's... Say what you want about Cowherd, but I mean, I find him to be pretty smart. And he... You heard there with all the statistics he dropped, he did not just... He doesn't just account record like most of these assholes do. Well, no, and he's correct in the fact that the Bills are, you know, a lot of guys just look at, okay, well, they beat this team and they beat this team, so they must be good. No, he's taking a more scientific approach to it, which I can appreciate. I still think nine is too high. Jesus Christ. I mean, I mean, all of this stuff, all it does is serve to set us up for eventual heartbreak, right? I mean, we've all been there before. 2008, 2011. But Cowherd makes some valid points. We do run the ball 55% of the time. We are still a, a running football team. 
So even though the statistics aren't there, we're not leading the league in rushing the way we did in the did in the past. We're not averaging in yards per you know averaging of the highest yards per carry anymore. But what we are doing is we're letting teams know that you have no choice but to prep for our run game. And we're going to let our quarterback take his shots against you. And that seems to be, with a tough enough defense, a winning formula. I, but there and again is the problem. Now, I talked to you about things going to your heads. Imagine all this, you know, some of this early season success with a team full of young players who are trying to buy into a new system that seems predicated on hard work, not resting on your laurels. That's why you need guys like Lorenzo Alexander around. This is what Lorenzo had to say immediately following the game in the locker room. I mean, it says that we can compete and play at a high level, but at the same time, we still can't start drinking the Kool-Aid. We still got to uh, respect the process, um, understand uh, we got to continue to work the way we were when, when we were underdogs. And that's the way we got this. That's kind of the mindset of this team, blue collar. Um, just keep grinding games out and finding ways to win. The Lorax, BuffaloBills.com, to listen to the whole interview. I, I guess that's why you need a guy like him. I mean, listen to the words. You can't. He's saying it. Plain as day. We're not going to drink the Kool-Aid. You cannot let these two wins go to your head. Okay, you beat two good football teams. But on any given Sunday, that can change. Having a guy like him, that's why the coaching staff made him a priority free agent. Because they looked at it and said, we're going to have a young roster and we need a guy like him around. We need it. Because he's going to be good to keep everyone grounded. Let him know, hey, you haven't won shit. He's been enough losing football teams to know that winning doesn't last forever. Plus, he's a linebacker. And our linebacker quarter is kind of young. Yeah. He, they need that elder statesman. And thank God Lorax is there to do it. Now, hope, now, hopefully some of the fans out there will take his advice and not buy into these power rankings. It's ridiculous. Just everybody take a deep breath and relax. Goose Fraba. Goose Fraba. Cheers, Chris. All right. So moving on. Walter Powell has been released. And we've got a whole boatload of new signings. It's every, it's every Tuesday. Every Tuesday that we record this show, something happens. The well, front office team, makes a roster change. And it, at the last minute, I take a look at my rundown and I say, ah, shit. I got to. Well, that's because they're off today. And so that's when you have guys in to work out and all that jazz. And you kind of get a, a little bit of a, a base on who got injured from Sunday and if you need to sign somebody. So I guess. that's why they bring people in for workouts. Well, I'll say this. Coming into the season, Walter Powell, he was given a four-game suspension for PED usage. Now, when you take into consideration his familiarity with the city, the years that he spent on our practice squad, the years he got in practice with Tyrod Taylor, I would have assumed that he was a shoo-in to be included in the team's plans moving forward. So you can picture the look on my face when I opened up pro football talk in the middle of the Monday Night Football game last night and saw that we cut him. I I don't know what the rationale behind the move is. You know, they, they asked him if his suspension was part of it. They said no. And it seems somewhat counterintuitive considering that he has NFL experience and has been with the team for years. Maybe he's not buying into the process. I don't know. All I can say is that given the success of Brandon Bean's moves so far, when you consider the roster... I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, the team also went out and signed wide receiver Philly Brown and safeties Trey Elston and Shamarco Thomas, formerly of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and a Syracuse University alum. 
I think the most interesting takeaway from these signings, I mean, Philly Brown, okay, it makes sense. He has familiarity with the system. McDermott weighed apples to apples. Same do thing I, with Elston. Do I want Walt Powell or do I want Philly Brown? Give me Philly Brown. You want with Philly Brown because he's watched Philly Brown put up real numbers in the NFL. The safeties are the most interesting thing to me. Just from, I guess, I look at it in terms of they bring you special teams depth, but it's also about philosophy. With the starting linebacker going down to injury this past week, I would have assumed that one of the moves you would make would be to bring back a Gerald Hodges, you know, a um, you know some kind of a some sort of a suitable replacement at that weak side linebacker position. Instead, they opted to go with two safeties. I think that that shows you that McDermott realizes that they're going to have some pass-heavy games coming up. They're going to face a lot of defenses that are going to throw the ball a lot. I mean, you're talking about the Raiders. You're talking about... Um, we do play the Bengals on Sunday. We play the Bengals. We Joe Mixon's kind of speedy. Gio Bernard's a little speedy what? out of the backfield. And if you notice, who did they go to when they needed to replace Ramon Humber? They went to Matt Milano, who's essentially... I mean, some people questioned whether or not he had the size to play linebacker. He's a converted safety playing linebacker. Well, you didn't like him out of the draft. I didn't. But I'll tell you, that is their philosophy, is that they they would prefer you to have tackling ability and speed. They don't care a whole lot about what else you do, because if you're inside the box, inside of a scheme like ours where you bend but don't break, that speed is more important than whether or not you can be a big thumping linebacker in the running game. So I think that these signings are really interesting, and... It's going to be interesting to see how well, what kind of defensive packages they roll out on Sunday, considering the injuries we've sustained. Hey, what are we drinking here? What do I give you? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. Come on. So the injuries are starting to mount for the Buffalo Bills. They got their first real taste of the entire season, you know, with the injury bug. Now, you've watched some teams just be decimated. Anyone watching Monday Night Football last night watched the entire Redskins team. It was like, oh my god! It was like the team came into came into Arrowhead and just ran into a brick wall. In one game, the Redskins managed to lose their starting left tackle, their starting running back, their number one cornerback, their number three cornerback, one of their safeties, a starting linebacker. I mean, it's it's absurd the number of injuries that they just caught out of nowhere. So with that, the Bills are getting their first taste of it. EJ Gaines and Jordan Matthews both left the game prematurely. Gaines had what they're calling a groin pull. Matthews, he suffered a thumb injury. And Ramon Humber, who literally has been playing the best football of his career, he's been diagnosed with a hand injury, which they're saying is in the thumb region. Both Matthews and Humber are going to require some sort of surgery. On top of that, safety Colt Anderson went out with a broken forearm. He's also going to have surgery. At this point, I feel like, first and foremost, if we're talking about these injuries, Colt Anderson is the man of glass. Chris, his whole career has been injuries, and since he's been in a Bills uniform... I don't think he's played. He's never really been healthy. At this point, I don't know. Has he played? No. Well, he's played a handful of games, but that's as a special teamer. And I think once he tried to fill in for a couple snaps, and then he got hurt. He's just... he's, He's too brittle for me. I... I would find a way to release him with an injury designation because he's just never... Your availability is what makes you important on Sundays. Now, with Matthews and Humber, I don't know how... There's no word on how severe the EJ Gaines' groin pull is. 
But with Matthews and Humber, these are two guys who played important roles on our team, right? Wide receiver, starting linebacker. I think Matthews is supposed to be out like a month. That's what they said. He's going to be out a month if he has the surgery that he's expected to have. Now, I can see why fans would be concerned. I mean, I think that Humber is probably the most concerning of the two. They they seem to like Milano for the position. They're bringing in extra safeties in case they need to put more guys out on the field and do a you know kind of cloud the field with safeties instead of just relying on three linebackers. But the Jordan Matthews situation is kind of interesting to me for a couple of reasons. Fans, I could see why people are. I've heard, I've seen it on social media. Oh, we need to trade for a wide receiver. Our team's competitive. We got to do something. No, we don't. Before everyone starts to freak out, let me make a case for why we may not struggle as much as a lot of you think. First and foremost, we are a team that's built around the rushing attack. That's it. First and foremost. You heard Colin Coward talking about it before. We run more often than we pass. I think it's 55%. It's right around half, but we use the run to set up the pass because teams know we're coming for them. And yes, we haven't gotten the monster performances out of Shady that we're used to. But, I, I mean, that is still going to be the bread and butter of the offense. And then when we do pass, and here's the interesting thing. Wide receivers aren't the focal point of the passing attack. In four games through this season, the Bills have attempted 98 passes. Of those, 48 were either to Charles Clay or to LaShawn McCoy. Clay has more targets, more yards, more touchdowns, and more catches than any other player who isn't a running back on the team. Even Nick O'Leary has gotten in on the, you know, in on the passing game that big 31-yard catch that he made against the Broncos. He's proven that he can also be a reliable weapon in the passing game as long as the play action is working. I, and then we also have Brandon Tate. He's a guy that people don't think about. He's functioned in the past as both a kick returner and a wide receiver. He's got experience in this league. On the practice squad, we've got Brandon Riley. We just signed Philly Brown. And we've got the recently signed Malachi Dupree. Both Riley and Dupree are large, physical wide receivers that are built in the mold of possession guys. You know, and those are those guys who you can go out and throw them a jump ball and you expect them to try to come down with it. They're big enough that they can box out some smaller cornerbacks. I, I mean, I think that I'm not as upset about the state of our wide receiver depth chart because you're right. We don't have a ton of top-end talent. We don't. We don't have a Sammy Watkins. We don't have a Des Bryant or a Damaris Thomas. But you need those. But, but that's my point. With the way that this offense is evolving, right now we're finding a way to get it done without those guys. So if you have a bunch of guys who are kind of in the middle, you almost don't need that high-end receiver. And I mean, Matthews, he's been a good piece for us, but ultimately he's not the be-all and end-all of our wide receiver depth chart. So missing him for the next month, which will include a bye week, isn't the worst-case scenario. I mean, we're going to miss him, but we have bodies to throw at the position. Oh, everyone needs to calm down, whether it's our record, whether it's the... <laughs> but I will say, Chris, it's time for you and me. This is going to be one of the best parts of the entire show. We're going to talk... We're going to, we're going to recap our win. Buffalo Bills 23, Falcons 17. And to that, I'm going to crack a brand new beer that I've never tasted before. Uh, when my parents were here in July, and we did, we did like a... a like a, a boat tour mm -hmm. down at the harbor, like that was on tap. 
Folks, Chris has just handed me a bottle of Allagash White, a beer brewed with spices from Portland, Maine. Taking a look at it, it's about 5.1% alcohol by volume, and it's... Mm. Ooh, it stings the nostrils. <laughs> it's... I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Drew. You're about to drink pure gasoline. <laughs> Folks, we're going to start this off as we always do with the stats of the game. Tyrod Taylor, 12 of 20, 182 yards, one touchdown, no picks. Matt Ryan, 57% completion percentage, 242 yards, one touchdown, but two picks. Chuck Clay, 112 yards, three missed tackles, one touchdown. A 91.5 pro football focus grade and 5.3 yards per route run, which was number one in the NFL. By a tight end. By a tight end. Micah Hyde, two interceptions, 37 return yards, and six tackles. Falcons running backs, five yards per carry, 137 total yards, one touchdown. Falcons wide receivers, the thing that we were all terrified about coming into this game. Eight catches, 157 total yards, one touchdown. First and foremost, I mean, there's, if you're going to talk about this football game, there's nowhere to start except for the Bills fans in attendance. It was one of the most notable things, both from a visual standpoint. I mean, you looked at the th- – Chris was screaming at everybody who would listen because he had like five rum and Cokes before anybody – even came well, over yeah, my house. Even if you watched the game, you saw a whole bunch of red seats. It was either like, I guess people were either getting drinks all of the time or I have no idea what was going on. But if you follow the Bills Backers of Atlanta on Facebook, they were partying pretty hard Sunday morning. Well, I will tell you this. The Bills fans were riled up, but Chris is right. When you looked around the interior of that bowl, you saw a lot of empty seats into like the third and fourth possession of the first quarter. I mean, there was n- there was no one there, but what you'd see is giant pockets of blue jerseys, blue and white, just hanging out. And, and it was like there was a couple plays early on, you know what I mean? From an audio standpoint, I guess that's the crazy part to me because I'm a season ticket holder, and one of the things I love is being at the stadium and being loud. You know, I always tell everyone, be loud and be proud. Go out there. Help out the defense. Have you? I mean, have you ever been to a road game for the Bills? Yes. There, I don't know about the, or people that listen to us. Road games for the Bills are so much more fun than being at the stadium. Bullshit. No the, way, Chris. To me, there's nothing better than being a road. No, game. because you're in a hostile environment. <laughs> people might be yelling at you. You get to <laughs> get into other people's face faces in you know like if we actually were able to go to this game being in Atlanta you would know that you would have backup somewhere <laughs> because it was just littered with Bills fans on I, Sunday I just I guess my my thing is from an audio standpoint when you listen to what was going on think about it if you think back to Sunday's game when those fumbles came down or whenever they'd announced that the turnover was being upheld and there was you know oh hey that mm-hmm. Micah Hyde interception that probably shouldn't have been a pick but they gave it to us the crowd exploded. There was more cheers than boos. I, I mean, it was incredible. It's fair to say that our fans were louder than the Falcons fans. And if anybody needed any confirmation of this, here's Matt Ryan talking to a local Atlanta radio station about it on Monday morning. Um, although certainly a number of Buffalo fans in the building as well 
um, which Brian is not, you weren't happy. Finneran is very agitated this morning. I just, I, I don't know where they got their PSLs from, Matt, um, and how they purchased those things, but it drives me nuts, dude. They're, and not in their seats soon enough. What else were you uh, pissed about today? Well, there's so much going on on the bends that these people at halftime and in between quarters, and they don't come back for five minutes of, the game, of game playing time. So it's five full minutes of uh, empty seats is, is right that behind the benches. Is that something you guys notice and mention on the sideline? You know, I, I think you notice it, but it's not something we talk about, right. <laughs> you know, all that much in the game or, or whatever. We're trying to focus on what we needed to. But uh, that Bills Mafia was real, I guess. You mm-hmm. know, they, they talk about their fans being rabbit. They had a few out there yesterday. Oh, the Bills Mafia is real. <laughs> oh, Bills Mafia is real. I guess. Shut up, you overrated piece of trash. Where, where's that? That's audio Matt from? Ryan on with Steak Shapiro and Brian Finneran on 680 The Fan in Atlanta. And I don't want the the fuck Brian Finneran's thinking. You live in a transient city. Everybody that lives in Atlanta is from another city. <laughs> so whenever you go to a sporting event in Atlanta, basketball, baseball, football, everyone's there to see the opposing team. <laughs> So I don't know. I don't know why he's like mad. There, oh, there are no Falcons fans. It's a Fortune 500 company city. People are there with clients, entertaining clients. It's people go to a Falcons game to cheer on the Falcons because of the entertainment value. It's not like you and me, where like we went to the Denver game and that those three hours dictated how the rest of our week went. <laughs> No, you're right. And I think that's what I think they got a good taste of that. Like I said, there was cheering going on during every Bills monster play, and you could hear it on TV. It was incredible. And, and the Finneran may have hit it on the head. They just built this monstrous stadium with all kinds of more, specialty restaurants and bars and it's more It's more expensive do. than Jerry World. Well, but here's my point you built all this. But at what point does all of this abstract shit that you put around the game of football become a distraction to your own fans? Because guess what? They the, have no fans. The Bills Mafia came in there on Sunday. Congrats to them. And really kind of punked you guys. So congrats. Congrats to everybody out there listening who attended the game. Because clearly the quarterback on the opposing team knew you were out there. Do you have a, any uh, thoughts on your beer here? This Allagash. I'll tell you, it is spicy. It's kind of... It's too light to be considered a fall or a winter beer. But at the same time, it's spiced in a way that makes me think that it should be a fall beer. Very I, interesting. I don't I, I think it's like they're I, but I it's wanna, light. And because it's light, I've been able to get through probably about a third of the bottle now. I think it's they're like they're whatever Allagash brewing. I guess that's like their their main beer that they brew. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if this would keep them. In I mean, business. I'm sure they brew others, but I'm sure like that's their main one. Well, I'll tell you what's our main one is our defensive secondary. Okay, the Buffalo Bills defensive secondary two weeks in a row has stepped up and faced a tough group of wide receivers. In what was pretty much everyone agreed that was going to be the matchup that decided the outcome of the game. You know, we went against the Broncos with Demarius Thomas and Benny Fowler and with um, Emmanuel Sanders. Those guys have the ability to ruin a game for anybody. So going up against Julio Jones, Sanu, Taylor Gabriel, uh, what is it, Justin Hardy? Justin Hardy himself is a good wide receiver. He had a touchdown. He, he runs well. They faced their toughest test of the season and performed at a level that I can honestly say I didn't know that they were capable of. Let's look at, first and foremost, it all starts with Trey White. 
rookie wide receiver. He his Trey White is a rookie corner. You retard wide receiver, rookie cornerback. His stats of the game: eight targets, four catches, eighteen yards, one pass deflected. When when Matt Ryan threw at him, his passer rating was fifty six point three, and he had the game changing fumble for a touchdown. White won AFC Rookie of the Month all through September, and starting off in October, how do you not love that performance? I mean, he's been phenomenal at what we've asked him to do. I think it comes from playing under Les Miles at LSU. It could. He's he's been in big situations. That's why I, I want to say, I don't know if I'm right or wrong here, but I believe most... Uh, the SEC gets the most defensive players drafted in the NFL. Well, the SEC has flooded the NFL with talent over the last probably four or five years. I mean, you look at Alabama. Alabama lost. They were they were trying to count the other day. I saw the graphic. They lost like seven or eight starters, or like what was it, seven or eight starters? Oh yeah, they over lost the last two. They years. lost so many players, and yet they're still able to beat Ole Miss fifty nine to three, sixty six to three. Fuck up. No, what it is is that they. You know, over the last couple of years, they've put out in the first two rounds, Alabama has had eight or nine guys go in the draft. Every year, they're churning these guys out. LSU has the LSU led the SEC in people drafted in the high, higher rounds. You, you look at these bigger Southeastern schools, and those are the ones where all the talent's coming from. So to see the Bills pick a cornerback who's used to playing in big situations, it's not surprising that he's act, that he's playing like this. But it kind of is when you figure he's a rookie and he's outplaying a lot of veteran guys. And then when you look at the back end of this, the secondary, Jordan Poyer has been getting, I mean, he's been all the rage, Chris. The I, last still, I still weeks. don't trust him based on his liking for ranch. <laughs> what, what was your quote? He probably, he's the kind of guy that puts ice in his milk. So, well, Jordan Poyer has been getting all of the press. And all the accolades over the last few weeks, Micah Hyde decided to step up on Sunday and let everybody know, hey, I'm back here too. That was a hell of a pick he had. Five tackles and run support, two of, two of them in pass protection. Played 100% of the game's snaps and finished the game with two interceptions. <laughs> all in all, you look around our secondary, they played what was probably the most complete game I could have expected out of them. I mean, from... I mean, from you've got EJ Gaines who, on the play when he gets injured, he dives forward and strips the ball from the wide receiver, even though he's clearly already got a groin pull. He limps forward for two steps and strips the ball out. It's it's just incredible how competitive these guys are playing. After a great game, you know, biggest test of the season, they showed growth from what I thought was their best game of the season. I thought Denver was the top of the mountain for them. They outdid themselves this week. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they played on the road. I know. That's, that's, that's my point. You go on the road and against you somehow the defending out, NFC champion. And you somehow outperform yourself from the from the week before that. That's impressive. I mean, hell, we stopped the last play of the game with only 10 players on the field. Fourth and one, we go out there and we are missing a linebacker. Which, when you think about what you're... If it's fourth and one, you're looking for short area coverages. And you don't have a you don't have a linebacker. He's just not out there. So you have ten men on the field, and you somehow cover well enough that Matt Ryan's getting pressured and has no choice but to throw a bad pass. That is incredible. I mean, it's a testament to the coaching staff, 
And it's a testament to these players. I mean, it's a brand new secondary that I was terrified about coming into the season with. And they're really just kind of taken off. Yeah, their communication skills have been uh, fantastic. No, they have. And then you want to talk about another uh, another position where I thought we would struggle coming into the season that really stepped to the forefront on Sunday, the defensive line. I mean, I can't say it enough. They've impressed me. It's a huge credit to Coach Mike Waffle. I want to know how much he has to do with this, you know? And just the dedication of the players that the team has put together. I mean, you think about it. We've had we had Darius, we had Hughes, and we had Kyle Williams coming into the season, and we had a bunch of question marks beyond that. You know, we really didn't know what we were getting from anybody else who's out here. So I looked at the roster and I said, okay, we have no D-tackle depth and we're hurting on the defensive end side because we don't know what Shaq Lawson's going to be and we don't know what we don't, we don't really have anything behind him. When it was announced that Shaq Lawson wasn't going to be able to go, I thought that that was it. I said, okay, well, here's the game where we put in some scrub D-end and they just abuse him all game running to his side. Instead, Ryan Davis and Eddie Yarbrough this was their chance to shine. They took it and ran with it. I mean, Yarbrough took the bull by the horns. He was everywhere. He pressured the quarterback. He was tackling linebackers, forcing people, forcing running backs back inside where our linebackers could clean him up. And he was even batting down passes at the line of scrimmage. He's become an impact player for our roster. And, I mean, you think about it. We've won games on the defensive line. Our defensive line has dominated games. While missing Shaq Lawson, while missing Marcel Darius, the depth and the, the the depth that they've cultivated and the way that they've coached them up is almost nothing short of impressive. Yeah, these guys are buying in, and <laughs> I mean, I I'm not buying in until I literally see ten wins in the win column. But I mean, these coaches have have their ear, and they're buying in. I, I mean. They asked Eddie Yarbrough post-game what it was like being a young player thrown into significant playing time, especially on those crucial final drives where they knew Atlanta wasn't going to punt the ball, and it was his job to go out there and play defense at a high level. They asked him, were you surprised that as a unit you guys you know, played so well? This is what he had to say. I don't know if there's another team in the league that does situational football in practice as much as we do. I mean, fourth and one situations. I mean, if... It could be a situation for Mars, and chances are Coach McDermott and our team has drilled it. So uh, definitely a time I just said, hey, guys, we, this isn't our first this is our first rodeo. We've drilled this 100 times in practice, so just really just to, to kind of see what formation they came out in and, and, and adjust from there. Here's, here's a situation for Mars. You're tied with Tom Brady because we play him twice in December. We're, we're winning by one, with, uh, and it's fourth and two. And this win will give us 12. That's a situation from Mars. Because I don't believe we will ever get there. <laughs> I need to see. I'm not buying into any of this bullshit until we see. I see 10 wins in the goddamn win column. What I'll say is, you know what's going to help us get there? Is kids like Eddie Yarbrough. Got unknown guys who come in here, step up, and play their balls off for us. Speaking of playing their balls off and stepping up. Let's talk about Rick Dennison for a second. That guy that you wanted fired during the Denver game? <laughs> Folks, Chris can vouch for this. There is a distinct difference between my sports-related personalities. I'm like Jekyll and Hyde. 
here on the show, I, I'd like to think that I give you guys, our listeners, a healthy mix of quote unquote excited about football, Drew, and rational Bills fan, Drew. But anybody who's watched all of the videos that lo- Chris loves to take of me while we watch football together, or has heard Chris describe what it's like being in a game with me, there is also raving lunatic game day, Drew, and they will never agree with each other. For the people that like watch the videos that I put on Twitter or like your halftime adjustments, like that's you directly <laughs> in the middle of raving lunatic Drew. Like, okay, like for those that just see that like two minute clip, spread that out over three hours and a case and a half of beer. And that's you. That's you watching football. I will admit that. I've at points called. I don't know why we don't have a turnstile at your house (laughs) to keep track and and tell people where you live. Come on over to witness this. At points, I may or may not have called for Rick Dennison's head while watching some of these games. And I will even admit that I've said some uncomplimentary things about his mother. And I'll say that I don't 100% agree with everything that he's done. But through four weeks, he's shown me the most important thing. For a coach, not only is he more flexible than I've given him credit for, he's also better at game planning than any of our recent offensive coordinators. And for that alone, he deserves a lot of credit. Not to be fired after five quarters, (laughs) like you said during Denver. Oh, I absolutely said that. That was absolutely a thing that came out of my mouth. Yep. I mean, when you take a look at what our roster is on the offensive side of the ball, what is by league standards a an average wide receiver core and a quarterback that everybody knows what his limitations are. I think it's a, it's a it's an average it's an average offense throughout outside of probably Eric Wood, Incognito, and McCoy. I mean, he's put together some impressive drives though with those limitations. I mean, think since in nineteen I believe the stat was since nineteen seventy nine when they started keeping track of the time of drives when they started clocking how long your time of possession on a given drive was. On Sunday, the Bills pulled off an 11-minute drive that was the longest in franchise history. Think about that. We didn't do it with uh, explosive plays. That was the offensive coordinator just getting into a groove with the talent that he had on hand and saying, look, it may take dink and dunk. It may take five third downs. But I think I've got this defense on the ropes to a point where what I call is going to work. You take what you're given. Now, if it's dink and dunk, then take those couple yards. So, here, Rick Dennison, I apologize for my previous transgressions. The rest of this beer is for you. Are you on board with the Allagash or no? Folks, after, after finishing the Allagash, I'm going to tell you, it's a beer that's it's spicy and it's light and it's a lot of things that some people, mostly women, may enjoy. I assume that this is something that if a female went to a bar, she would very much enjoy a pint or two of this. I don't think I could drink more than one of them. So far, it seems like I've just won you with the uh, Victory Brewing Summer of Love. Yeah, pretty much. Most of the beer that you feed me over here is crap. But it's okay. We'll keep working at it. <laughs> but it's not all... I don't want to get. I don't want you guys thinking that my, I'm looking at all of this through rose-colored glasses. It wasn't all rosy. And I'll tell you who's really starting to friggin' irk me is Zay Jones. And you weren't high on him coming out of the draft. No! No, I was not. I had to be talked off of the ledge when it came to us drafting, trading up to draft Zay Jones. 
And everyone convinced me that, okay, well, look at his catch radius and his hands and his catch per his reception per throw rate. He's he's such a, a good hands guy. Well, if that's the thing that got you drafted, what the hell am I watching? What the hell am I seeing on the field on a weekly basis? It seems like he can't catch anything that's uh, outside of his body. I, I get this. I understand that being a young wide receiver, it takes time to acclimate to the NFL game. I get that. I do. I've You, you see, Demarius Thomas wasn't shit in his first year in the league. I know because I took him in fantasy football and he was, he was average at best. But at the same time, and I know that Tyrod doesn't always throw him the best passes either. So I'll even give him a pass there. But he's got to get better at catching the ball. I mean, that is your job. You have one job as a wide receiver, and that's to catch the football. If you can't do it, I mean, it's just like if it's not in his numbers, he can't catch it. And with the Matthews injury, that makes his development paramount. It is paramount that Zay Jones earns his draft stock. From here on out. And at the same time, I don't I just don't see it happening, Chris. And what do you think? My thing is on Tyrod. We know Tyrod's I, you gotta be open and they'll throw it to you. What if for a split second he sees Zay Jones open and he knows it's Zay Jones, but then in his head he's like, This dude don't catch shit. And he just throws it away. Well, is, is that a is that a possibility? It is absolutely a possibility, and that is why Zay Jones makes my zero of the night. <laughs> Screw that guy. Simply put, Zay Jones is unreliable at best, and that needs to change ASAP. On Sunday, he had two more. I think over the last four games, he's had at least one drop per game. He's now up to four, I think, and he had two bad ones on Sunday. Yeah. Well, Tyron doesn't always throw him the well, best. Well, no, he doesn't throw him the best balls. But I'll tell you that he has to start becoming a reliable target. Because if teams know that they don't have to worry about Zay Jones, either because Tyrod won't throw him the ball because he hesitates, or because he won't catch it when it gets there, it will give defenses the ability to single cover him exclusively and then roll coverages away to take away one of our more effective weapons, like Chuck Clay. By having both a linebacker and a DB bracket him. Do you think that do you think Zay Jones has to like con has to like be in contact with one of the equipment guys and has to like use a sign out sheet to take the jugs machine home with him? I, I don't know what and it's gonna use take. it in the parking I lot. Mean, he, to me, he is hot hand heen anyone out there who has seen the movie Little Giants, he's becoming hot hands heenan. That's all I can see in my head is him looking at his hands post game going Fellas, come on now. I wash you. I put gloves on you when you're cold. I cut your nails. Why are you doing this to me? All I know is is he's got to find a way to get it together or else his presence could actually hurt our offense instead of helping it. And that brings us to our hero of the week, which, in all honesty, I had to give it to two for the first time ever. And that goes to defensive back Micah Hyde and tight end Chuck Clay. (laughs) I'm the greatest man! In the world! Woo! That interception by Hyde was so clutch. I'm sorry, but Hyde is proving to be... You know, just Hyde himself had a game. Like I said, he, he stepped to the forefront of our defensive backs and says, Hey, don't forget about me. You know, I, I'm sure, and I'm sure that a part of that was a function of the fact that Matt Ryan was thrown away from Jordan Poyer. 
Because Jordan Poyer has proven he can knock down passes, he can be physical with your wide receivers, and then he can take the ball away. What's the fact that Micah Hyde has killed it on Sunday and Jordan Poyer has been killing it all Sunday? Or all every Sunday, rather. Mm-hmm. It speaks to what McDermott's bread and butter is the safeties. Safety play. And so, I mean, he, so whatever he's doing in practice, he's getting through to these guys. I mean, you think about it. Roman Harper had career, had a career year playing in Sean McDermott's defense. So it's not shocking to me that these safeties are playing so well. I'm just happy that that Gabriel interception, though, was perfect. Matt Ryan had nowhere to throw. He knew he was under pressure. He knew he had a little bit of time, but the pressure was coming. And so he stepped up and hucked the ball downfield because in his mind, I'm not throwing on Jordan Poyer because I, I know that guy can pick the ball off. So instead, I'm going to pick on this other guy down the field. Well, guess what? Micah Hyde can catch the ball too. I mean, his, his performance was incredible. And then you've got Chuck Clay. Okay, can I, I want to touch on the most impressive statistic and one of the best things I saw out of him. Is this the part where he uh, lives up to his the contract that Whaley gave him? Yesterday he lived up to it. I'll tell you this. It was the missed tackles. I've, I have it to this point, I haven't seen him get the ball in a position where he has a chance to be elusive after the catch. Yet on multiple occasions on Sunday, you saw Charles Clay get the ball in his hands. At one point, he just one-armed a receive, uh, D-back out of his way and got the first down. On another one, he juked the guy and got an extra three yards. That's the type of stuff we need to see out of Chuck Clay. He need, like That justifies his contract. And, the, and some of it may have to do with Tyrod Taylor maturing as a passer. Maybe it's the offensive coordinator. But for whatever reason, Chuck Clay is right now the man on this offense. And he's definitely something that defensive coordinators have to worry about going forward. Oh, what a win, what a win, what a win, boys. Woo! Chris, it feels so good. We had more than one win on Sunday. Oh, we had, we did. We did have more than one win on Sunday. Folks, it's time for this week's AFC East Roundup. And where else to start but with the New England Patriots? Now, everybody knows that Victory Monday for the Bills is a great day. Chris, everybody I run into is a little bit friendlier. The air in the morning is a little more crisp. I don't know about that, based on that photo you tweeted out uh, at Rock Pile Report on Twitter. Walking past my coworker's car that's covered in Patriots flags and stickers is easier on a day like Monday. I mean, even your morning coffee tastes just a little bit better. And when it comes after a victory Monday, where the Patriots lose at home for the second time to start the season to a team that you pretty much corralled in all day on defense... That right there is Xanadu, baby. Cheers! Drink with me! <laughs> the Patriots lost on a last-second field goal to the, pit, to the uh, Panthers in what was one of the craziest Patriots games I've watched in years. Now, I, I had everyone over at my house. I've got the Sunday ticket. We've got the Bills games on one t- game on one TV and the mix on the other so that we can keep an eye on all of the games going on. And if one of them gets interesting, we'll go to it. So, for a while there, the Patriots game... I don't know. It wasn't uh, It wasn't the most interesting thing in the entire world. Uh, then I'm like, okay, well, the Patriots took the lead. This is where they run away with the football game. Instead, they gave up the lead. And I was like, oh, oh, shit, let's watch that. But we didn't change it yet. And then the, Patri- the, 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 the Patriots fell behind by a score. 
Now it gets interesting. We watched the end of that football game, and it was incredible. I Cheering on the Panthers as they kicked the game-winning field goal was one of the most gratifying feelings of the entire day because I knew we had already won, and that put us squarely alone in first place in the AFC East. I mean, you look at what the New England team is right now. On offense, they're as sharp as they've ever been. Okay, Tom Brady threw two touchdowns and over 300 yards, still has not thrown an interception this season. He's the only quarterback in football not to do it. <sighs> On defense, what are they, Chris? I mean, I, I thought watching that game that they had somehow swapped jerseys with the, with the uh, New Orleans Saints defense. Uh, you have it here. They allowed 444 yards. Their defense, for the fourth time in four games, has allowed a team to get 400 yards. Well, we held Carolina to 255. Yep. 189 yards. Cam Newton completed 76% of his passes. He threw 316 and three touchdowns. And was on my bench for fantasy. (laughs) Of course he was, because you're not good at fantasy football. You wouldn't have played Cam Newton at New England. <laughs> this year I would have. No, you wouldn't And have. then the Patriots were gashed on the ground for another 140 yards and another touchdown. And they allowed the Panthers to convert 67% of their third down conversions. I mean, it didn't matter on Sunday how often the Patriots offense scored. They couldn't keep the Panthers from answering. That huge contract that they handed to Stephon Gilmore looks more and more glaring by the week. I mean, their entire secondary is having communication issues. But you look at Stephon Gilmore, and his fuck-ups have been the most costly. He got burned by a running back named Fozzie for like a 38-yard touchdown. And then in man coverage, which is supposed to be his specialty, he was just struggled the entire game, letting completions get made all around him. It was so bad that the team benched him at halftime and put Eric Rowe in to play for Stephon Gilmore. Then Eric Rowe injures his groin and Stephon Gilmore has to go back out. So now not only was he ineffective in coverage, but at the end of the game, here's the, here's the cherry on top of the shit Sunday that every New England Patriots fan got to eat. End of the game. On what would eventually become the Panthers' game-winning drive. The Patriots sacked Cam Newton on third down for a loss of 11 yards on their own 27. That's a punt right there, Chris, right? That's it. You punt. Now you've got about two minutes left, and Tom Brady can go down the field and win the game because it's a tie football game. All it takes is a field goal. You know Gostowski is money. A five-yard illegal use of hands penalty on Stephon Gilmore, which was his second time being called for that penalty in the second half extended the drive, and allowed the Panthers to go down the field and score the game-winning field goal. He single-handedly cost his team the game. I get it. They're the Patriots. Tom Brady is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer no matter what anyone says. All the cheating, everything aside, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And how many seasons, Chris, have the Patriots started out like shit and then turned it around? I can't remember of any. <laughs> I can't remember. I remember you calling into GR for the Kansas City game the day after, and you're like, oh, this is it. 
<laughs> I did think it because I thought that and was then it. They won the Super Bowl, but even then, I've never seen their defense be this bad. I mean, this is this Especially is because that's Belichick's bread and butter. That's it. This is your coach. Through the last two games, they've allowed sixty-six points, which is more than the Bills have let up all season. And their secondary is allowing the most yards per pass in the NFL. And the fact that they've they've allowed teams to score 128 points on them is more than the top three NFL defenses combined. That's pathetic. You also got to factor in injuries. Injuries to what? You lost Dante Hightower, one linebacker. Guess what? One linebacker doesn't make your secondary communicate properly. When did Rob Dinkovich retire? Okay, that's not an injury. That's a player. No, who but when did he retire? Though? At the end of the season. No, he retired like in September or in August. Okay, August. and then you have Rivers. Okay, injury. Injury towards ACL. They have no pass rush. Okay, well that's guess what? That doesn't affect your secondary. It shouldn't for the money you're paying him. Well, what it does is it allows your the opposing team's quarterback to have time to throw the ball. If you're getting no pass rush. Fuck you, I know football, see? Oh, oh yeah, you, you don't know what you're talking about. All I know is this. This week, they are taking on the 2-1 Tampa Bay Bucks on the road on Thursday night. Now, they've, they've struggled at times, but they by, you'd think that they would have the talent to turn it around. So this should be the game, right? If they are going to right the ship, this is the game that you see them come in. and you know Because it usually happens. Remember, last week, I mean last week, the last season where, you know, on to Cincinnati, that was week four. Week four, going into week five, it was on to Cincinnati. We're not as bad as you think we are. And they came in and they won 10 straight games. So I expect to see that on Thursday. But at the same time, the Buccaneers have some amazing receiving options. Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard. So I don't know. We're going to find out on Thursday night what that secondary really is and if this team can really right the ship because they need to do it fast. You lose one more game, you might lose enough ground in this division it actually becomes a race. Speaking of the division, you got Dolphins. Please tell me that that was one of the worst games you've seen all season. <laughs> Guys, don't get me wrong. I feel bad for Dolphins fans. They had one of the no, most... No, you inju- don't. No, you, I you, don't. You want to talk about injuries. The Dolphins had the most injury-plagued preseason. Okay, They lost their starting quarterback, half of their defense, and... I, <laughs> I don't know. As a team that hit, as a fan of a team that has seen more man games lost to injury than anybody else over the last decade, I feel for them. I, I can sympathize with that. But How after, can you sympathize with people that openly wear orange and teal? <laughs> it's the teal that bothers you, isn't it? It's the orange and the teal. And the Dolphin. I'll tell you the reason I don't feel bad, because after all that talk from last season about how they had leapfrogged the Jets and Bills in rebuilding their team, and about how their coach had, quote-unquote, changed the culture with his no-nonsense attitude and quarterback-whispering abilities. And then I had to sit there and watch this team make the playoffs while beating almost no one with a winning record. What I'm seeing this season is absolute gold. It's delicious. They went overseas on Sunday to play the New Orleans Saints in London and got absolutely manhandled by a defense that has been the worst in the NFL for the last two years. Not only did they get shut out, but at the end of the third quarter, they had only gained 11 yards in the second half. Chris, what is that? You got 11 yards of offense in one in one quarter of football. 
That's an NCAA team could probably find a way to get 11 yards against an NFL defense in one quarter of football. I was I woke up and I was just on Twitter like laying in bed and I noticed on Twitter like people tweeting like about the Saints and Dolphins and I looked at the clock and it was like oh 9:40 I should just get out of bed cuz there's football on. That was the worst decision I made on Sunday <laughs> to get up that early to watch shitty football. Well, I'll tell you the worst might have been Jay Cutler. I mean this guy is the best to watch play the game of football if you're not a fan of the team he's on. You look at his stat lines and you think he'd be accurate. He completed 20 of 28 passes. But you watch him and you can tell he's not on the same page of any of his wide receivers. Yeah, and it goes with the, the uh, fade route in the first <laughs> opening drive. <laughs> the fade. Jesus. Teams are loading the box to stop Jay Ajay, and their offensive line can't get any push. I mean, they don't, they don't have any presence on the line of scrimmage. So now he needs to step up his play and back off some of the pressure on his offense and his running backs, and he just can't do it. <laughs> he just can't do it. It's incredible. And then there's the wildcat play. Anybody out there, anybody out there probably saw the meme that's out there right now, but if not, go to Google and look up Jay Cutler wildcat. Now, I'm sorry, but the whole point of having a quarterback on the field during the Wildcat is to make a defender come out of the box and account for him in the event that they pitch him the ball so that he can pass it somewhere. And they also take somebody out of the box to give them the, I guess, a numbers advantage when it comes to blocking in the middle of the defense. Except Jay Cutler, when split out wide, puts his hands in his damn pockets like a loser. Jeremy White said it best during the Bills pregame show. On that play, Cutler might as well have been standing on the sidelines with a cigarette in his mouth. (laughs) At the end of the day, the Dolphins are a mess. They've got massive issues. They can't run. They can't pass. And over the last eight quarters of football, they have six points, but have given up 40. They're going to get a matchup at home against the Titans this week, who are fresh off their own ass kicking and won't have their starting quarterback. So maybe this is the confidence boost that they need to become a competitive team. Oh, yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> Cutler playing at home in front of all of those fans. All 40 of them? <laughs> but if Cutler can't right the ship, this season could very quickly slip away from the Dolphins. And then you've got the Jets. Now, for all of you Jets fans out there, like our friend Kyle Smith of the AFC East Bros podcast, who were buying into talk about tanking and about being the worst team just in hopes of obtaining a quarterback, you need to put all of that shit on hold for a little bit. Right now, you guys are second place in the AFC East. You're second place in your division. Who's tanking now? Another win by the Jets. And this week, they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars in overtime, which brings Josh McCown's career record as a starter to a shocking 8-25. and They got to pay that man money. Chris, it's hilarious to Needs me. A raise. In four games this season, Josh McCown has increased his career win total by 33%. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? 33%? <laughs> Why is Josh McCown still in the league? Oh. For me, though, this game is more about the Jags being a shit team than it is about the Jets being good. The what Jets, do you mean the Jags are a shit team? They're coached by Doug Marone. The Jets gave up five sacks, two fumbles, and took ten penalties for 70 yards. And the Jaguars couldn't find a way to win the game. And obviously I blame Doug Marone. I mean, 
Listen, nothing made me laugh harder. Well, I'm still here just basking in this glow of post-Bills win euphoria. Watching that jerk-off take his team down the field in overtime and on fourth and three from the Jets' 43-yard line? He punts! Oh, does he punt! You're in plus territory in overtime and you punt the football on fourth and three. It was funny to hear about it, and then even funnier to go back and watch it. The Jets went on to drive down the field and score the game-winning field goal. Fuck Doug Marone and everybody who looks like that guy. Cheers, me. Of course. And they're playing the Browns next week? The Jets get to face off against the Cleveland Browns next week in a game that looked like it could further diminish the Jets' chances of tanking and being the worst team in the division, much less the entire NFL. For all of you out there hoping you're going to land a quarterback for the green and white. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River. Nate Geary. Rolling into Cleveland to the lake. They will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga Hot takes of Lake Erie. Rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Now, Nate is a smart guy who obviously knows football. But Jesus Christ, did he pick one hell of a hill to die on? It's actually funnier to hear it in his own words. Eat your words, Geary. Eat them. You're willing to put yourself out there. I Eating kind of a slice of humble that. pie tonight here on the Real Deal Overtime Show. Eating a slice, a big fat slice of humble pie, and it is delicious. This is the first time I've really embraced being wrong. Typically, I don't yeah, like fight tooth and nail. I do, even if I'm wrong, mostly I'll fight you that I'm at least somehow a little bit right. Yeah, you, you want the credit for being maybe a little bit I'm right. I'm gonna eat this. And I'll one. give you, I'll give you a, a little bit of right. They do not have the first overall pick on the field. Uh, I mentioned there, and if you 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 heard my little. My little blurb. You know what, Derek? Let's play it again for the people. Just, just the raw cut. If you, you, because I really, I'm, pr- I'm a little proud of this. Is a proud moment for me. This is like a dad moment. This is growing up. Go ahead. Go ahead. Play it, it is one. July fifteenth, fourteen. Fourteen. It's the fourteenth of twenty seventeen, <laughs> and the Cleveland Browns roster is better than the. By the way, I'm Nate Gear. Let me get a double down. The Cleveland Browns roster is better than the Buffalo Bills, and they will have more wins than the Bills in 2017. <laughs> and that uh, that sound coming directly from the Rockpile Report. Uh, Drew and Chris do a great job in their podcast. That was from them. So if you want to check those guys out, do it, because they do some good stuff as well. Guys, that's coming to you from WGR 550 on the post-game, the post-post-game show with Nate Geary and Ryan Gates. Now, big thanks to Nate for giving us an on-air shout-out. I mean, we over here at the Rockpile Report, we do our best to bring our fans an entertaining, fulfilling experience, unlike the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> oh, that team is 4-0-4 right now. Sunday, we're going for four wins. Four wins in five games. If you had told me that it was that was a possibility, I'd call you high. We could easily be undefeated. I mean, nine points. You give up nine points, you should win that game. Oh, against the Panthers, of course. I mean, that was 
Oh, that was gut wrenching. And right now we could be in a, we could be right up there with the Chiefs. I mean, right now we are sitting in second place in the AFC. Take Not a picture. Take, take a picture. Take a make, picture because it's the it, last time yeah, you're gonna make see it, it. Yeah, make it last longer. Folks, this weekend, preview, upcoming, Bills versus Bengals. It's gonna be this is kind of a statement game. I mean, everyone thinks that last week was the statement game for the Buffalo Bills. It was. I don't see this as a statement. I think it's right here, and I'm I'm gonna I'm about to tell you why. Folks, starts off, let's give the basic info. It starts off at 1 p.m. Location, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. Weather, it's going to be mostly cloudy, 82, with a little bit of wind, but not much. The, the spread, now here's what's important. The spread has moved in the last 24 hours. It was previously the Bills plus three, now the Bills two and a half, with an over-under of 39 points. Chris, Seagram's bet, what do you think? Oh, I think we're going to win the game. You think you're going to win the game? I think we're going to win. The, I think we're going to win the game. And for those that are going to get to watch it, it's Tom McCarthy, Steve Birdline, Steve Tasker on the call. So I believe it's going to be over 39 points. I don't know about that. And I have a bad feeling that this is a trap game for the Buffalo Bills. You think the Bills are going to win? I think the Bills are going to win. Okay. I'm right. I, I don't know. I, I I think it'll be under 39 because I think our defense is good enough to slow that redheaded little bitch down. And I, th- I, th- and I don't think our offense has enough. And you might consider Vontez Burfitt is going to rip someone's head off and <laughs> injure them because that's what he's known for. So then that takes maybe away our best offensive player because – Burfitt was acting like a dickhead, and then it'll be maybe under it's my 39. fault. I, mean, maybe I blame the media, but I'm just never too comfortable. I don't get comfortable when people give the Bills praise. I like the Bengals minus two and a half in this game. Chris, you think the Bills are going to win it? You think you think Cincinnati's going to win? I think Cincinnati. You're is. out of your gourd. Well, we'll shake on it. Seagram's bet. Seagram's bet. Now, so far, folks, Chris is over. I think he's one and it's, th- it's one and three. You're one and three on the season in Seagram's bets. Yes, dr- he's drank a lot of wine coolers. So I'm going to tell you why I think that this game is going to be tough. Now, first and foremost, we start out with the offensive scouting report. I take a look at that team. Now, you take a look at who are the who are the Cincinnati Bengals through four games. They're kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. They started off the game, they started off their very first game with four interceptions and got shut out week one. Week two, they lost to Deshaun Watson and the Texans in a game where they scored three field goals. They had to wait three weeks to score an offensive touchdown. But at the same time, they're also a team that has won a game and has scored a ton of points in the last two weeks, and who recently switched offensive coordinators. So they are a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde. You don't know what you're going to get from them. But here's what I know from just watching film and studying statistics. Now, I mentioned the Bengals struggle to score. It all starts up front. In the passing game, Dalton hasn't gotten into a rhythm with his wide receivers when you look at the three-game losing streak. But it's not all his fault. Their offensive line has allowed three sacks in every single game this season. You look back to free agency at the end of last year. They lost Andrew Whitworth and Kevin Zeitler, who were two of the best offensive linemen in football. 
Obviously, they got poached in free agency. They couldn't afford to keep him. And they're struggling to come up with an answer. The interior of the Bengals' offensive line just hasn't been good enough in pass protection. Dalton's not a statue, but he's no marathon runner. He's not a Tyrod Taylor, and he's not the most athletic guy in the entire world. So the passing game struggled to find its footing early in the season. It also hurt them in the running game. When you look on paper, they've got a solid rotation. They've got Joe Mixon, rookie out of Oklahoma, Jeremy Hill, and Gio Bernard. Jeremy Hill, at one point, was one of the better running backs in football. Chris, do you remember that? No. In fantasy football, he was one of the most reliable options that you could go to on a week-in and week-out basis. But as their offensive line goes, so does their running game. Their offensive line just hasn't been able to open consistent holes against good defensive lines. The result is that they're the 28th-ranked team in the NFL, averaging only 3.3 yards per carry. And when you think about it, they've got explosive wide receivers. A.J. Green's out there, their first-round pick, and John Ross, who's just a speedster. Even that big tight end who's filling in for Tyler Eifert, that Tyler Croft kid, he's a big guy. Yet the offense isn't explosive in any one aspect of offensive football. And there just doesn't seem to be a ton of answers for it. But they're, I mean, it just, it comes down to the off, it comes down to that offensive line. And then another problem that they've had is ball security. You know, when I look over their statistics, our secondary has proven that they're opportunistic and convert on people's mistakes, Chris. Can you agree with that after watching what you saw on Sunday? I wasn't listening. There's nothing that, nothing that you say makes me want to listen. <laughs> I honestly did not listen to anything what you just said. Mostly because I was reading what's on the screen. I'm not kidding. Repeat it again. Another thing that stands out to me about the issues that the Bengals are facing is it just comes down to ball security. They've put the ball on the carpet more times than any team in their division. I mean, when you figure the Falcons, uh, the Falcons, the Ravens aren't very good. The Steelers have had some up and down games. They have the Browns in their division. And yet the Bengals are leading their division in fumbles. I mean, it's incredible. They have lost a fumble in every single game this season. And last week against the Browns, who are circling the drain, they put the ball on the ground three times. I don't understand what it is about their inability, whether it's a wide receiver, running back, quarterback. They're just, the ball security issues are there. And then you've got the four interceptions that Dalton threw in week one. I mean, they've, it's it's one of these things. It starts with Dalton and it becomes contagious to the entire offense. They just can't keep the ball. And for a team like Buffalo, that's a huge plus when you look at what their offense is. Now, here's the thing that scares me. You, you, you've heard all about how they've struggled, but there are legitimate reasons for concern here. Because after two weeks of failing to record a touchdown, the team fired its offensive coordinator and replaced him. Please tell me they replaced him with Turk Schoner. <laughs> no, unfortunately for us. The team responded by scoring 55 points in two games, and Andy Dalton has a quarterback rating of over 120 each of those two weeks. So when I pour over the game logs and the stat sheets, they tell the story of an offensive coordinator who's kind of altered the game plan to fit the personnel, kind of like what Rick Dennison has done for the Bills. For the last two games, the team has only attempted six deep passes. Okay, 
Now, think about what I just told you about how shitty their offensive line has been. Okay? Instead of trying to play a vertical passing attack that doesn't fit their ability to protect their quarterback, they focus instead on short passing game and utilizing the short area speed and just the size that their wide receivers and tight ends have on everybody else to generate their scoring drives. If you're not going to throw the ball deep, then why why have A.J. Green? Well, I'll tell you why. Everyone looks at him like, oh, it was down, those downfield catches. Well, against the Texans, he caught like a, a 40-something, 50-something yard pass, and they settled for a field goal because that was the old scheme. Over the last two games, A.J. Green has 156 yards and two touchdowns on nothing but short passes because he can break tackles, and that's all you need. Think about what Rick Dennison has done to other teams. We don't need a big guy. We don't need a certain... We just need to keep the ball moving. Well, imagine if you could plug A.J. Green into that kind of a scheme and that kind of an attack. That becomes dangerous. Okay? In my opinion, that's where the game is going to be won and lost when you think about their offensive line. It's going to be our ability to keep these plays in front of us and really kind of corral in the fact that their offense has really shifted from being one that takes shots downfield to one that tries to scheme up new plays to just get its big physical wide receivers like A.J. Green or its speedsters like John Ross into open areas of the field so that they can generate yards after the catch. On the flip side of the ball, their defense is as good as it's, all, as it's ever been. I don't know what to think about them. I mean, you're coming off a 31-7 win against the Browns, which I don't know, what, I don't know what that's worth. But then you, That means you won Ohio. But they hung tough with Green Bay for four quarters and lost in the last 10 minutes. That's because Green Bay is not good either, but they have Aaron Rodgers. And they, held the Tex- and they held the Texans down for most of a game, albeit against a rookie quarterback. And then they got shut out by Baltimore 20 to nothing. When you look at their team as a whole, cornerback, they've got speed. And they don't blitz a lot. That's one of the things I notice when I look at their defense. They don't blitz much. Instead, they just trust that their defensive line is going to generate the pressure that they need in order to blanket the field with. You know, it's kind of like what the Bills do. This, this feels more and more to me like a game of two teams that are kind of built the same way playing each other. And if the Cincinnati Bengals really do have their offense on the same page, this could be a far more even matchup than anyone realizes. I, I mean... The return of that scumbag Vontez Perfect really does help them in run support. I mean, he is an intimidating hitter, mostly because people think he's going to try to kill him or break his leg like he did on Antonio Brown. So they're going to be in a lot better position to stop the run, which is, again, the strength of our offense. But the one place I see them as being limited in that aspect is that Vontez Perfect, and they, they just signed a new middle linebacker, Kevin Minter, formerly of the Arizona Cardinals. Neither one of those guys are the fastest linebackers in coverage in the entire world. So you, you have opportunities to expose them in the passing game with your running backs and tight ends out in the flats or up the seams. I am on my fifth beater, and I am reading your notes. Okay. I don't see Geno Atkins anywhere in here. <laughs> Geno Atkins is, he, is one of those is he, guys. Is he out? Or? No, I just assume everyone knows who the fuck Geno Atkins is because Geno Atkins is a wrecking ball in that defensive line. And that's the other thing. When you look at what the defensive line is, their defensive line lost Demata Pecco 
Okay, they lost him to the uh, to the shit. We just played him. Carolina. No, the to Jets. the Broncos. They just lost him to the Broncos. He was one of the best interior defenders in the NFL. Geno Atkins is a guy who can play all over the defensive line, and he can get pass rush. He plays the run well. He's the reason they could afford to let Pecco go. Their defensive line is just as good as it's always been, and that's a problem. Their front seven is going to be a problem for the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. So I assume that's what I should be watching for when it's our O-line against yep. the D-line is who's taking on Geno Atkins because yep. that guy, you saw that Deshaun Watson hit yeah. on Thursday night. He bench-pressed him. He literally just bench-pressed Deshaun Watson off of his feet. I mean, he's a wrecking ball. You can't let him get anywhere near your quarterback. I trust that Tyrod is I trust that Tyrod is savvy enough to see that coming and not let himself get thrown around like a ragdoll. And then you look at the back end of the Bengals defense. They've got veteran safeties, George Aloka and Sean Smith. I mean, they're both just savvy guys who, yeah, they're not the most explosive guys, and they're not going to be standouts in coverage when you talk about the deep quarters of the field. But when you're playing a team like Buffalo that doesn't really have anything to threaten you downfield as far as the passing game goes, you can st- they, they are hammers inside the box. And they patrol that short passing game. And that's the bread and butter of our offense right now. The presence of those two guys, along with cornerback Pac-Man Jones, who even as old as he is can still hit and still willing to lay the wood, and he's still opportunistic in the passing game, even though he's lost a couple steps. Their presence is going to make it difficult for us to rely on these long-developing crossing routes or play action that we kind of wait for a guy to come free. That may not happen for us on Sunday. And so it's going to make what we do best on defense, it's going to make it hard. I mean, all in all, when I look at this Bengals team, they're a 1-3 team that's earned its record by being terrible on offense for the first two weeks and having a defense that more often than not did what it took to compete. This change in offensive philosophy scares the hell out of me. And if it can keep the D fresh, this game is going to be far more difficult than it might appear on paper by looking at the team's records. And now, a segment we're bringing back from last year. Players you may not know about, but should. On the Bengals, it's outside linebacker Carl Lawson. Hello, I've never heard of you before. You don't think that I know about Carl Lawson, Auburn University? <laughs> I forgot. War Eagle, son. War Eagle. God, I hate you. Lawson isn't a household name yet, but he's working on it. Carl Lawson was taken in the fourth round of this year's draft out of Auburn, but the rookie has led all NFL rookies in quarterback pressures through four weeks, according to Pro Football Focus. And he's got two and a half sacks on the season. He lines up as a stand-up linebacker or as a down lineman, and he's shown that when you give him the opportunity, he will create havoc for your offensive tackles. It's, it's rare to see a guy who plays the way he does with a combination of just speed, and he's got hand-fighting technique, which is something that if you're a rookie being picked outside of the first round, you don't normally have coming, in, coming into the NFL. I know I'm not a football guy and will never claim to be, but you say stand-up linebacker, down lineman, Combo with speed and hand-fighting technique. It almost seems like he might be like a, a rookie version of Jerry Hughes. Yeah, he's small. Oh, I is, nailed it. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say he's Jerry Hughes. He's far from it. Well, it, oh, That's why I said a rookie Jerry Hughes. But he's showing flashes of 
this ability to pass rush and pressure, which is which is scary when you consider all of the rest of the talent that they have on that defense. When you stack him up around them, he's a guy that our offensive coordinator is going to have to be aware of at all times. And that brings us to our weekly predictions. Chris, you've already said you think the Bills are going to win. What do you predict the final score is? I don't want them to win because I got my eye on the prize. One of them quarterbacks coming out in <laughs> April. 24-14 Buffalo win. You will eventually come to the dark side and admit that you love the Bills winning football games. And you will join me over here. I do love them winning belong. games, but like like what you'll have eventually, a child. You want them the best for your child. The Bills are my child, which is weird. <laughs> I, I want the best for the Bills, and that is to get a quarterback well, I'll tell this you. Offseason well, in the draft. You, this week I picture the Bills taking a step towards it. I think this is a trap game for Buffalo. I think that just the emotional high, the hype, I'm not buying it. It makes me nervous, so maybe I'm superstitious. But I'm going to take the Bengals in a 17-14 to game. Guys, before we get out of here, i got a couple plugs i got to throw out there. First and foremost, GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. NHL hockey is back. Dude, I'm so excited. <laughs> NHL's back. I got NHL.tv, multiple televisions. My t- I'm gonna, I can't wait for the weekend. Get yourselves ready by checking out all the great hockey podcasts being aired over on Grandstand Sports Network. You've got podcasts covering the Boston Bruins, your hometown Buffalo Bills. The, the, the Vegas Golden Knights are right there at your fingertips. and They we- just actually uh, acquired Malcolm Subban because he was put on waivers. I know nobody here cares about that, but yeah, well, I do. We also just added to Grandstand Sports Network a show featuring two of the top radio talents in hockey broadcasting. Okay, their personalities over on XM Radio. They're, these guys are you know Grandstand Sports Network is growing, guys. You got to get on board. We're doing so stuff. Go check it out. www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com. Go get your hockey fix before before the puck drop on Thursday night. Grandstand Sports Network, bringing you guys the best view in sports. And then Wise Guys Pizza. Now, we've talked about it for weeks. October 14th. October 14th, Chris and I will be doing our Saturday Night Live video from Wise Guys Pizza in South Buffalo. We urge you guys to come out, join us. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am going to be taking on their Carolina Reaper Wing Challenge. Today, in talking to the owner, I found out that this is actually no joke. In my head, I guess I thought that this was going to be some knockoff hot sauce that called itself Carolina Reaper. No. They get their Reaper sauce directly from the Puckerbutt Pepper uh, Company, who is the group that not only breed, first bred the Carolina Reaper Pepper, but also are responsible for three of the other hottest peppers on the face of the earth. This is what I'm going to be going up against live on Periscope and on Facebook Live on Saturday night, October 14th. Make sure you're tuning in. And if if you're not busy, stop in. Have a beer with the guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then afterwards, we're going to go to Doc Sullivan's, one of my favorite watering holes in South Buffalo. After we do Periscope and Facebook Live, we'll watch some college football, watch you yell at the TV, maybe get thrown <laughs> out of the bar. Maybe I might not be told to come back anymore because I'm associated <laughs> with you in, in some fashion. <laughs> guys, Wise Guys Pizza here in South Buffalo. And I got to tell you, it, it doesn't matter whether it's for their famous maple bourbon wings, which Chris has a boner for, 
or the sweet sauce that they're they're known for on their on their pizzas. Wise Guys has become my favorite pizza in the Buffalo area. And no, this is not a paid advertisement. These are the guys we go to no, on Tuesday nights because we love their food. Yeah, and because they're smart enough not to pay you. <laughs> no, because you know what? You don't turn me on to them, folks. You order it's a me. pizza. No, it's you, me telling you pizza night is Tuesday. You order a pizza. You go to your pizzeria. They, you give them your name. They slide a box at you across the counter, and they say next. They look over your shoulder, and they say, okay, who else can I check out here? You step into Wise Guys, and every single item that you order will be opened up in front of you so that you can view it, so that you can decide before you walk out the door whether it's up to your standards or not. And if it's not, they'll fix it. No questions asked. Now, I'll tell you, I don't know much outside of football. What I do know is that that's how I would, that's how I want to be treated as a customer. That's what won me over when it comes to Wise Guys. Not only is their food phenomenal, but at the same time, they they treat you like a customer that matters because they're not some corporate chain. You know, I, I hate, I hate chain restaurants. They're not some corporate chain. They're a guy, it's a guy in South Buffalo who owns a pizzeria, trying to bring it back to prominence, trying to support his wife and kids and also help out the community in the process. So guys, if you live in the area, check out Wise Guys Pizza over there on Seneca Street in South Buffalo. It's definitely worth your time. And I cannot wait. For you to do that Reaper Challenge. And where can the folks find it? On Facebook, find us at The Rockpile Report, at Rockpile Report on Twitter. And you can also catch our shows and some postings of ours over at rocksportsnetwork.com slash the huddle. Guys, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been The Rockpile Report.